Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this day from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will be in chapter 10 as we are going to see the beginning of the era of the kings. We go from the judges to now the kings. And in starting us off today, I have a rhetorical question for you. Do you have any regrets? A lot of people ask that question, especially as they get to the end of their life, they start to think back. Do I have any regrets? Or perhaps looking forward, they might say, I want to live life without any regrets. How about you? Do you have any? I mean, really think about it. Really, you should have some. I regret that I wasn't the best of students when I was in high school. Uh, I regret that I didn't always listen to my parents. And I regret that I don't always listen to my wife when, truthfully, she's right a lot of the times. I have regrets. Some people, they regret not putting as much savings away as they should. For times like these especially, right? Some might say they regret not putting more into their 401k so that they had more when they finally retired. Uh, Some regret that they didn't spend as much time with family members and loved ones. It's easy to have regrets, isn't it? But for me, as a pastor, spiritually speaking, every single one of us has regrets. Now, that doesn't mean we should live in them, but when we think about it, yes, We have some spiritual regrets. That's why we have a confession of faith. That's why we confess our sins, I should say, at the beginning of our divine service. We confess our sins because what? We have regrets. Things that we know that we shouldn't have done that we've done. Or things that we should have done that we didn't do. Even if we were happy doing them. (laughs) Or they brought us a little bit of pleasure. We know in the end that we broke God's commandment, and that's a regret, right? We do. We all have them. Those regrets, they pop up. We have them. And thankfully, we can bring them before our Father, and we know that He hears our confession. But what's very interesting is uh, we see some regrets in our text today as we are in 1 Samuel. It's really the first 15 chapters, but... I guess our focus is mainly on chapter 15. But think about Israel. Do they have regrets? Well, that's an easy one, right? Uh, The times that they complained about the manna, should have regretted those. I mean, that was a gift from God. How about the time when they were going to go into the promised land? God said, here it is, it's yours. All you got to do is come in. But they saw the people and they were afraid and they didn't go in. As a result, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah, that's regret. Regret that they cried out for meat, wanting to go back to Egypt, and God gave them meat, enough meat that would come out of their nostrils. That's regret. The time that they would uh, put the golden calf together in order to worship it, and as a result, a lot of people would die from a plague. That's That's regret. But God says that they're going to regret this moment, this moment when they've asked for a king, because God's going to tell them it's not going to be better just because you have a king in place. You see, from the Israelites' perspective, they look around and they see all these other neighboring nations, all these countries, 
They all have kings. They go out to war. There's a leader that's, that's there leading them forward. And so they think that's the reason why they are facing the different levels of oppressions at different periods of their life. It's because they don't have a king. But see, these judges weren't supposed to be their king. These judges were there to deliver them from the oppression so that then Israel will go back to worshiping God who was supposed to be their one and only king. See, if they worship God and do what he says, they don't need a king. He's their king. Everything will be fine. The problem isn't the king. The problem is what's inside of their hearts. The problem comes from them, not from anybody else. But they just keep asking for it. And so finally, God's going to give it to them. But we're going to see that this is going to be a regret. This isn't going to make things better. Yes, there will be some good kings, no doubt. We'll hear about King David and Josiah. That's great. And as the kings are following God's command, it's going to be good for the nation. But let's be honest, even the best of kings, the most perfect of kings, is not going to be better than having Almighty God as king. Even the greatest kings will have their shortcomings. But most of the kings... The majority of the kings are not good. The majority of the kings get involved with idol worship and lead Israel to do the exact same thing. And this is what's going to cause them to get kicked out of the land. So this isn't going to be that grave an experience, but people are wanting it and they're excited about it, but they will see. So we have this first king, kind of a surprise. Uh, not because of his stature. In fact, he looks quite kingly. He's tall, relatively handsome, the Bible says. He has the, the stature of a king, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And this was a tribe that was nearly wiped out. They had to go through drastic measures in order to save this tribe. Read the end of Judges for that kind of a crazy uh, time frame that took place with Benjamin. What happened there? Wow, a crazy part of the story. Uh, but Benjamin rebounds, but they're still small and kind of looked down upon. But this is who God is going to choose uh, for king is, is Saul. Now, Saul doesn't necessarily have a lot of respect from everybody else at first. Samuel goes and anoints him, and the Spirit of the Lord will go upon Saul. That's key, isn't it? You see, if anybody's going to do anything good, they're going to have to have the Spirit of the Lord upon them. If there's going to be a prophet, if there's going to be a king, if there's going to be a mighty individual, you've got to have the Spirit of the Lord upon you. And it does. It comes upon Saul. He wins some battles. The people see that he is a victor, and they praise God, and they say, yes, he is king. But it's not going to take long. In fact, we get to the battle here, uh, battle with the uh, Philistines. And Saul is getting ready to go to battle, but Samuel tells him, Samuel the prophet says, I will be there, he's going to be the acting priest, I will make an offering to the Lord on the seventh day, then you can go into battle. So you get the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and finally you get to the seventh day, and people are on the edge of their seat, they're tense, the, the war they know is getting ready to begin, and, and Saul sees all of this, and he's afraid that they're going to start running away or become scared, and, and he doesn't want to miss the opportunity, he wants to capitalize. And it gets to the seventh day, he doesn't see Samuel yet, the day's not over, so he decides to take matters into his own hands. 
See, his job isn't to be priest. His job is to be king. But because of his situation, because of his own authority, he makes himself priest, I guess you could say, by taking the offerings and he sacrifices it to God. He wants to make that sacrifice before he goes into war. He wants to do the task that needs to be done as if he's appeasing God or something. But this isn't good. And that's exactly what Samuel says when he comes. You disobeyed God. But see, he doesn't just do this once, disobeying God. He's going to do it a second time in chapter 15. Uh, This time, it's another war. And they defeated the enemies. And God said, don't leave anybody alive. Don't leave anyone alive or anything alive. We talked about this in previous chapters. If they were to leave something alive, the people will be tempted to follow the ways and the customs of that particular people. Worshiping their gods, taking on their customs. These weren't good. God says, destroy it all, right? But what does Saul do? He and his men take a few of the best choice animals. But he says and claims, look, God, the reason why I did this is because I wanted to offer it as, a, as an offering to you. That's why I didn't destroy it. But God looks at this and what does he say? I don't care what your intentions are. You didn't do what I commanded you to do. You took my command and you twisted it around to to be something that you thought would be better. Do you think, Saul, that you can do things better than me? Are, Are you better than me? He doesn't say that, but I think you could take that. And then he says, really, he throws down the hammer here through Samuel. Samuel says, I'm going to strip the kingdom from you. It would have gone to an heir, but it's not going to go to your children at all. It's going to go to somebody else who is going to chase after my own heart. And we know who that's going to be, don't we? We know that's going to be David, the king who chases after God's own heart. What do you think about this, though? I mean, I get it. I understand it. He disobeyed God, but two times? I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about this from my own perspective. Uh, I'm a child of God, right? I, I would say that. But how many times have I messed up? I mean, Saul gets two chances and he's out. What happened to three strikes and you're out? But two times? I guarantee you I've sinned more than two times from the time that I got up in the morning to the time that I walked into the living room. Frustrated that I had to get up, wishing life was a little bit different, wanting things to be a little bit better, complaining, moaning, frustrated, having bad thoughts. Now, maybe you're not as bad of a sinner as I am, or maybe you are. You see where I'm going with this, though, right? If this is how God treats Saul, how does he treat us? What hope do we have? You know, since we were going through this time of social distancing, I'll be honest, it's allowed for me to have an opportunity to really think about where I've been as an individual, where we are as a people. And some things that I've come up with while I've had the opportunity to reflect. Um, 
I have some regrets. This past Sunday, as I was looking out on my empty congregation trying to live stream, I saw the seats where my people were supposed to sit, where some of you were supposed to sit. And it was hard because, wow, I really wanted you guys to be there. Not because I thought the sermon was going to be extra special, nothing like that, but because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be together. And that led me to believe or think about and pray, Lord, I'm sorry. I have a regret. I regret the times that I came into this church and didn't want to be here. Or maybe I thought, let's just get right through this so I can do something else that I want to do. I regret that attitude because that's not keeping the Sabbath day holy. That's just going through the motions, trying to do what Saul did, appease God so that I can do whatever I want to do for the rest of the day. I have regrets. The times that I'm rushing through things that I didn't take the moments to go and shake the hands of the people, you, who I hold, whom I hold dear. I regret the times that I didn't stop and, and talk to my family. Uh, the time that I just go over when I was in the area or say hi or, or spend more one-on-one time with them. You know, right now, we really aren't supposed to leave or go anywhere. That's hard. I want to see people right now. And I regret taking that for granted. I regret being deceitful, not going places when I could have. I regret that. I regret the gifts that God has given to me so I could glorify him, but I sometimes only want to glorify myself. You see, once you start thinking about regrets, the list can go on and on and on. I regret not praying more for my leaders. I regret not doing more earlier with regards to this virus. I regret the people that I've come in contact with just in case I do end up having it. Praise be to God, so far it doesn't look like it. There's a lot of things that we can regret, isn't there? Those are just some of mine. Maybe you share in those. Maybe you have your own. What I find so interesting here, though, is that God says these words. He says, I regret that I made Saul king. Wow. We don't hear God saying that very much. The only other time he says that is around the time frame of, the, uh, of Noah and the ark, where he says, I regret that I made man because of the sinfulness. But the thing about God is that he doesn't dwell in his regrets. He does something about it. He fixes it. And he does something about it for us too. Before we get too fearful and wondering when he's going to cut us off from himself, we see that that's not what God does. When there is any kind of regret, even if it's our regret, God is going to do something about it because he loves us. Because he cares for us. He wants to redeem us from these things of the past. And that's why the true king will once again make his entrance into the heart of Israel, not just for Israel, but for the sake of the entire world. Where God the king will come. 
He'll come on the back of a donkey and he will parade into Jerusalem where there the king will reign in the greatest way. Not on the throne, but he will actually reign on a cross. He will dwell there until he breathes his last and dies. Why? He breathes his last and dies for sinners like you and me. To take all those things of the past, all those things that we regret, and he buries them in the grave that he himself will enter. But when he comes forth from the grave on Easter Sunday, he leaves those regrets in the ground, and he doesn't hold them over your head any longer. So I want you to think about that while you're in your isolation time right now. That God is not dwelling on the things that you used to do or the things that you did or on the past sins. So you don't need to either. He has already done something about the regrets. And now, by his blood which has set you free, you are free to move about and share the love of God. One day, I believe it's going to come. (laughs) You're going to have that moment to once again shake that person's hand that you need to make peace with. Or wrap your arms around those loved ones. Or come to church and sit in that pew. I bet you're not going to take it for granted like you used to. Or maybe like I used to. And even if it doesn't work out, and even if the end of the world happens tomorrow, which I don't think it will. (coughs) Excuse me. But even if it were, we know it still wouldn't be the end. Our God has taken care of all of the sin, all of the regret. And there is a banquet, an eternal banquet that is waiting for us where we will get to be in the presence of one another. And not just one another, the saints who have gone before us and the saints who are going to come after us, all of God's people. What a beautiful picture with complete perfection by the blood of Jesus, all gathered around the eternal throne. Without any worry, without any concern, without any frustration, without wondering when it's going to end, because it's not. We will share in that perfect peace forever. No social distancing, (laughs) and just around Him. So, friends, don't live with those regrets. They've already been taken care of. Go in peace. Amen.